Good evening, and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the show where we hold horror to standards it absolutely never agreed to. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Progressively Horrified, the podcast where we hold horror to progressive standards it never agreed to. Tonight, we're talking about Attack the Block. I'm your host, Jeremy Whitley, and with me tonight, I have a panel of cinephiles and cinebites. First, my co-host and comic book writer, Ben Kahn. Ben, how are you tonight? Allow it, bruv. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of that tonight, I feel like. God. Uh, next up, my frequent collaborator, comics artist, and certified vampire aficionado, Emily Martin. How are you tonight, Emily? Believe it. <laughs> Trust. I think Trust. I, thank you for combining. I love how we we can go one sentence without like the Nar- referencing the Naruto line. <laughs> and our special guest tonight, the author of the Diversity and Horror blog, Morgan. Morgan, how are you tonight? I'm doing great. How are you guys? talk about some attack the block absolutely uh, oh my god this movie is so good we did repo the genetic opera last week and i wasn't a fan of it i'm afraid to say this movie is so good like it's almost uh, a perfect movie is, like so good. this was like i couldn't pause this movie i was just like it's been a few years since i've seen it and i forgot just how it just works and it's just firing on all cylinders. Absolutely. Yeah, there were things in this movie I had entirely forgotten about. Like actors I had entirely forgotten were in this movie. They were just a delight when they pop up. I'm halfway through watching it and it's like, oh, Nick Frost. I forgot Nick Frost right. is in this movie. <laughs> well, it's also it's so good, but it's so like unknown. Like so few people seem to have seen it, which is really a tragedy. It is, Last like, really time I saw it was yeah. pre-13th Doctor. Mm-hmm. oh so like that's a whole angle nice. to it now is it's all like you know you look at the stars i mean there's a lot of i mean this movie has nick frost uh who you know by then with like shot of the dead hot fuzz like he's kind of like and starring nick frost but this movie you have <laughs> jody whitaker uh, the current doctor uh france drama who would be in oh, yeah. yeah john boyega who is a revelation in this yeah. film. Yeah. <laughs> Holy shit. Like Jody Whitaker is here and she's doing a good job and so is Nick Frost. They're but like part of it. Every moment John Boyega is on the screen in this movie, he just like owns this movie. Oh it's my god. Like amazing. We've talked and honestly one of the unexpected joys of all the movies we're watching for this podcast, like the few times where we've seen one of these, like these first off these like early roles. And really it was like, we saw it with Chris Hemsworth and Cabin in the Woods. Those early movies where you can just tell like, they have it. The star power is real and they are giving it off palpably. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you were mentioning the, uh, is it Franz Dramé? Yeah, I, I don't know if it's Franz Dramé or Franz Drama. Uh, but you know him. He uh, would he co-starred in Edge of Tomorrow. He played Firestorm in, along with uh, Victor Garber in Legends of Tomorrow, and he is currently in C with Jason Momoa on Apple Plus. Oh wow! Yeah, and then this is is written and directed by Joe Cornish, 
who would immediately turn around and write the script for Ant-Man. And the, the basic plot of this is uh, a gang of South London teens find themselves in a fight for their lives against an alien invasion who attacked their council estate. Uh, which if, if people aren't familiar with the like British wording of, of council estate, it's very similar to what we mean when we say projects in the US. Like it's a very like so low rent apartment block, very, uh, usually uh, funded partially by the government. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, I believe it's the place that they live is called Wyndham Tower, named after the English science fiction writer yeah. who uh, yeah. wrote Day of the Triffids. Uh, this is in South London and... In a fact, I will probably bring up too often, like the obnoxious fucking asshole I am and drink every time I mention it. Uh, I lived uh, for a year in London. Uh, they're in South London. That's, I didn't live quite where they lived. I lived in, uh, New, in New Cross. Like, but yeah, South London is not the night, the, typically the most upscale or nicest parts of London. Now, as far as the scare level on this, would you guys say this is spoopy as in not scary, spooky as in a little scary, terrifying as in very scary, or existentially disconcerting? I think it kind of balances between uh, spooky and existentially disconcerting. Like the the yeah. the activity of these people on the block uh, versus the aliens gets pretty spooky, but the message is very existentially disconcerting. I mean, it's a it's a lot more. Uh, I would say it's sort of like the young adult version of the first purge where we have strong commentary there that is so true that you know it's almost they're they're building on the sort of dark humor of that i have to (laughs) say the scariest part for me was just the parts with the police in them the aliens were scary but when jodie whittaker's character sam called the police on the boys just my heart was in my throat. I'm like, oh God, the cops are going to come. They're oh. going to see these black kids. They're going to shoot them. And so that for me was very terrifying. Yeah. There's a moment where, I guess my response turns out to be a cap gun, where you have 14, 15 year olds wrestling with a nine year old over a pistol. I'm like, oh my God, this is how. Uh, a hundred different news stories I've seen over the years start yeah. like oh god like the sight of essentially two children again it happened to be a toy but still wrestling over a gun like that was honestly scarier than the like the alien monsters attacking yeah 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 and there's me, it was the- plenty of spooky oh. stuff in here uh it is also in a lot of ways a, a spooky uh horror comedy in the tradition of, of things like you know Shaun of the Dead um, where you know there's there is there's definitely scary stuff um, but there are plenty of jokes and plenty of you know chances to to lighten up and, and enjoy some humor in the middle of the horror movie yeah it is but, very uh, well I definitely balanced. had in my notes along like near the end like maybe the real monsters were the cops we met along the way <laughs> <laughs> yeah I thought about that one yeah it was um so i'm actually half black i'm biracial so for me cops whenever you see cops pulling over a black person it's very much a panic attack moment um actually wrote about this recently um i was driving the car once with my dad i got pulled over and they asked what our relationship was and if i was okay because obviously i look white and he doesn't and i was so scared if i said the wrong thing they were going to kill my dad 
Um, so that was kind of the fear I was dealing with when I was watching this movie was, um, okay, so there's this white woman and these black kids attacked her. So the police are obviously going to take her side. And even though this was in the UK, the thought was always there. They're going to kill these kids. And I'm like, so are, should they be more worried about the aliens or should they be more worried about um, the cops? And for me, that, that's what makes it such a good movie is the social commentary yeah. and how it's basically a movie about how society views Black men and Black boys as a threat. Samantha, uh, her grave mistrust of the main characters throughout the movie uh, is warranted given that they violently mugged her like hours oh, and that's, ago, like less that's than valid. an hour ago. Yeah. Um, at the same time, they're kids. Oh, nothing yeah. involving the cops is justified. Just right. Samantha herself and her personal distrust. Well, nothing and that's involving one of the, the things I like is that there was a black woman who called out Moses for mugging her. And she was like, Moses, you can't just attack like women at night. What the hell is wrong with you? Yeah, that was I Tia, mean, who was. Tia's who was, great. Yeah. And then she goes to Jodie yeah. Whittaker and is like, and you, you can't just call the black police on black kids. Like, yeah. and you just are yeah. instantly distrusting of us. Absolutely. And I was just like, go, Tia. Yeah, tell them off. Yeah, yeah Tia no, and so Dimples, the uh, two two black girls that are named in this, are they're all stars in the parts of the movie they show up in. Like, yeah. they, they do an amazing job uh, so against much... the aliens as well as against the uh, society in those scenes. They have so much personality. So I yeah. guess that brings us over to the trigger warnings. Yeah, so like, you know, racism, cops, smugging, there's decapitation, there's... <laughs> Off-screen animal death, but animal death are nonetheless definitely like violence, people being, being eaten, depictions of child neglect. Anything I'm leaving out there? I mean, the uh, bit with the kids with the guns. People you know. smoke weed, so yeah, you're drug a square. Use. Yeah, so I guess warning, you're a narc. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, poor poor Brewis gets uh, goes to a useless level of high in this, in this I, movie. I love Brewis so much in this movie this poor stoner who's just so overwhelmed by everything in this film at every level yeah and then i think it's telling that joe cornish says bruce is based on him as a teenager <laughs> i've never felt more seen in how i would be in a horror movie than by bruce <laughs> same although bruce is the one experiencing just like a true horror movie because he keeps trying to leave he keeps trying to leave this horror movie and he can't get away. Like he keeps yeah. getting pulled back in. But, um, but I want to get to him, but we'll get to him. Yeah, that's um, that's all of our non-spoilery talk for now. More or uh, less. So if if you do want to jump ship and go watch the movie before we talk about it more, uh, do it's do that. Great. Definitely. Even if you've seen it before, movie. watch it again. Yeah. Yeah, it's so good. It's so good. It's absolutely fantastic. I think definitely one of the like most fun good movies that we've watched this yeah. is like, we've watched plenty of good movies but like Duke is not a good chill sesh movie <laughs> i would say there's only really truly two disturbing moments in this film i can't recommend this movie enough just because it is visually <laughs> stunning the action is great the dialogue is just rock and roll love the dialogue the message is fantastic yeah like it's all it's like you said firing on all cylinders so yeah watch it again and then come back to us 
how cool is the monster design with the Vanta black and the glowing like blue fangs? Oh yeah. And I love that they use practical special effects for the aliens. That Absolutely. is like this is some of my favorite monster design that we've seen. Yeah, I was so this excited is... to learn the glowing teeth was a practical effect. Like, oh, that's like so they so they cool. wired all of that stuff up because that's that's so cool and like just the reveal of that in that first scene where they're in the park and they see the thing and he's like, oh, it's got creepy glowing eyes. And the other guy's like, bro, I don't think those are eyes. And like, and it opens up its mouth and it, it's fucking fangs are glowing. I was like, oh my God. That shot, oh, the reveal on that is just so cool. Oh, yeah. Like I don't, I didn't, I don't have very many notes. I didn't. Like I did not many things inspired jokes. Like I mostly just sat back and I'm like, yeah, this movie fucking rules. I just wrote down quotes that are very important. Um, Yeah, I noticed all of your notes are in quotation marks. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But yeah, so uh, starting from the beginning, it's Guy Fawkes' night. Yeah. Yeah. We pan up on the London sky in what's definitely, definitely not a practical effect, because bullshit, you can see any stars, never mind that many stars, on any kind of London night. <laughs> I think we're still, like, stratospheric level for the first... I don't care how high you're up you are. If you're in London, it's just a solid column of cloud cover from, like, just going all the way up to the upper atmosphere. Like the ionosphere, and then... Yes, just clouds. <laughs> There is no above the cloud cover in London. It's a movie. <laughs> it's a movie. Even magic. if there was, London has so many city lights that you can't you can't yeah. see shit like yeah. stars wise anyway. Anyway, that that's the my one nit to pick. <laughs> but it was a very it's very interesting that uh, we have a very like specifically British holiday going on during this movie because uh, you know he says it. One of the characters says at one point Halloween was last week. It's like oh, so like. It's it's Guy Fox night. It's a week after Halloween. Like that that makes yeah. sense. Which um, makes me think. Uh, first purge. Did that take place on Fourth of July, or did it just really feel like it did? I feel like it did. Which in a past movie, or they might have released about, it on the Fourth of July. There's just something about the purge that feels specifically tied to the Fourth of July that I can't think of in a way that any other movie doing except for like Independence Day. So we we get introduced first to Sam, Jodie Whittaker's character who is walking home alone at night, but she is uh, decidedly- She's not a vampire. <laughs> nah, nah. She's decidedly not a vampire or scary. Uh, she is in fact a, uh, a nurse, but she will be a doctor within the next couple of years. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> <clears throat> oh, you beat me at my own Oh, dang, game. I just got it. <laughs> Not just a doctor, the doctor. The doctor. Um, so I did enjoy the detail, the future detail that a lot of the doors in this uh, apartment complex are painted different colors, <laughs> but uh, Sam's apartment is uh, apartment door is painted blue. It was uh, precipitous. I I don't know if that's the word I'm looking for. I Probably. think that is the word. Okay, yeah. cool. That sounds so you great. Listen I'm to an this artist. Podcast, you learn awesome new vocab words. Hang out with a bunch of writers. Welcome to Emily's Vocabulary Corner. Oh my god, it's a welcome, very small welcome corner. To your, word, your, word of the, your word of the podcast is precipitous. Precipitous, not perspicacious. Um, I, I, I almost said that one. I can't, I can't pronounce that. 
so we have um guy fox night which as far as i know is the only british holiday that involves fireworks any any holiday can involve fireworks if you try hard that's true that's true (laughs) it's great for atmosphere building like the constant lights and sounds of just fireworks as just like a a background sound of the like it just gave it its own feel and atmosphere and this movie fucking rules cover of this movie of like why does nobody seem to realize this is going on well it's because like everything's chaos anyway like i feel like crazy shit going on yeah i feel like even if it was a normal night and there was police not stretched thin it's like i feel like the movie does a good job of showing like this is a neglected part of the city that no one's here to actually help and they are on their own to help themselves yeah Yeah. speaking of being stuck to help themselves uh you know, Sam is, is walking home and she gets surrounded by this group of boys um, and their their leader, uh, we'll find out his name is Moses, steps forward and uh, demands her, her wallet and her ring. And, uh, you know, they, they have a fight and uh, and they in the course of all this stuff going on, something happens and uh, something falls on this car nearby. Um, Sam, you know, runs off back to the apartment complex to uh, to call the police and the boys decide to investigate all this uh, weird stuff going on. What are our, our thoughts on this this first scene with the mugging? Like, what's well, there is a detail. Gate a lot of stuff. I mean, this isn't a philosophical analysis. There's just a detail I like about the movie. In the start, is when Sam is walking home, she passes by some graffiti, and the graffiti is all like the names of our main character, like gang members. And I yeah. thought that was a fun, cute little way of like introducing them through the world before they're even introduced and showing their relationship to like this block where they live. And these kids, um, when you first meet them, two of them are on bicycles and three of them are uh, on foot and they are all wearing masks. So they're all wearing um, like handkerchief masks. John Boyega in this movie is not the Finn that we know now. He is stoic cold-faced you know he's presenting a a persona of this leader of this group of kids and it's not a gang it's like a um just a a bunch of kids that are sort of up to no good interesting bit of trivia joe cornish he actually based got the idea for the movie on when he was mugged by a group of kids and they stole his cell phone and he's one of the things he realized is the kids were just as scared as he was which kind of like humanized them for him and so that was one of the goals of the movies he wanted to base it on the mugging but to humanize the gang that well they're not really a gang like you said but to humanize the hoodies who mugged him yeah uh what you said about this very much not being in the fin uh, that viewers might be most familiar with this is a very different a much like you said a much more stoic a much more like kind of uh da- like damaged and like vulnerable yet just so strong character and uh, john boyega said that if he was gonna play a superhero the character he'd want to play is red hood and wow it, like if this movie isn't like yeah this like he could be like just an absolutely incredible jason todd I think it's a testament to John Boyega's acting that he does so much with his face and especially like, 
you know, both both in this movie and in the Star Wars movies, it's a very different like set of emotions his character is playing out. But so much of his acting in this movie is in his face because like Moses doesn't say a ton of stuff. And when he does, he's saying, you know, what he what he wants his boys to hear like the humanity he imparts to Moses through just like his face and his body language I it, it's incredible I mean seriously you watch this and you're like yeah that's a guy who's gonna win an Oscar one day it's hard to to really look at this mugging scene with the I, I'm not quite sure if there is something super scary about it, because I mean, I haven't really been been mugged in that way, you know, with a bunch of kids. I mean, like I people have, and um, also, you know, being younger, maybe if I was younger and I was in that situation, maybe it would be scary to me. You know, now I see, I, I hang out with so, well, I don't hang out, I, I teach so many teens <laughs> that, um, you know, I, I, uh, it's really hard for me to be scared of them. Um, and so when I see kids on bicycles, I'm like not very freaked out. <laughs> you know, I can see how this scene would be scary for somebody who's, who is used to being in neighborhoods where, you know, mugging is a possibility. Um, and uh, to me, when this scene got scary and maybe again this is on the rewatch and knowing like from the beginning how much to empathize with Moses when the knife came out I was scared but I was scared for in a similar way I was scared when uh Dennis and I forget if it's Prager Mayhem are arguing over the cap gun and it just because you know they say like oh we weren't gonna hurt you like we're like we were scared as you later on but still like once that knife's out like that's how mistakes are made and to me like just so much of what's going on with Moses is we're shown this this kid this like kid who has so so many good qualities like he's strong and he's loyal and he's like he's like he's brave and he's honorable and yet he's got no guidance and he's just making bad decisions and just this and this is i think like like somewhere the existentially terrifying is this what this person was so much good to give the world and is so close to making like a just like a bad decision he can never come back from like when this movie starts like especially between this and like the mugging in his relationship with high hats so one of the things that i do like about this movie like i mentioned it's a lot about um the fear of black masculinity. Um, in the beginning, Moses is basically playing into the stereotype of black men being a threat to white women, which is um, unfortunately it's a common theme in older horror movies, starting with um, Birth of a Nation, which I consider a horror movie. Absolutely. Um, and we talked about yeah. that when I had uh, Danny and Allie on, and we talked about um, horror noir uh, and, and how that has they start off that movie talking about birth of a nation yeah it's yeah. messed up it's also where this um it's one of the stereotypes the black buck which is a black man who's a threat to white women and you kind of see that mirrored in the aliens the, the black like aggressive ape-like aliens 
they're kind of like the stereotype of how white people see black men. And at the beginning, Moses is playing into the stereotype. He's being a threat and it's gonna get him in trouble. Um, and then towards the end, he's actually defending her. And so he kills the aliens. Sorry, jumping ahead a little, but. We're in the spoiler section. Like, okay, we're good. Yeah, it's like, um, it's by, all on the table. So by killing the aliens, it's almost like he's symbolically destroying the stereotype of this is not how I want the world to see me. I'm, I'm not like this, I'm not a thug. I'm not dangerous. I care about my community. I mean, yeah. again, this is skipping all the way to the end. <laughs> the symbolism of, and I don't know what it's all symbolism for. Mm -hmm. I just know it's some serious symbolism of Moses's life being saved by g grabbing the Union Jack while falling. Yeah, <laughs> him, like him hanging from the Union Jack on the side of this building as he's like just saved uh i'm just gonna spoil the whole thing saved everybody by blowing up his own apartment it um means you know, something deep i don't know life. what but it probably it connected to guy important. fox night <laughs> yeah well and the the to your point about how the aliens are so like these these uh they call them the wolf gorilla motherfuckers or whatever they call them yeah um the uh the the black aliens are the males according yeah. to the very stoned Bruis, who has is watching nature documentaries and is you know just stoned enough to really like get the uh pick up the uh <laughs> the truth for myself i'm just gonna take a hit every time we mention Bruis. <laughs> okay cool <laughs> just to get into the mode but the the quote-unquote female alien is white yeah, um, and that's we should go ahead and say that's what we meet right here like that's what crashes into the car moses goes to investigate and it kind of lashes out at moses scratches him and runs off and moses decides to take off after it and calls the rest of the gang after it and they like corner it in this building and and beat it to death and then uh, carry it back to the uh the estate and showing say, how he makes bad decisions yeah they say it looks like dobby the house elf <laughs> And then the um, the quote is uh, as as after it runs away after scratching the shit out of Moses's face, they're like, "Oh, Moses got sacked by Dobby." <laughs> it it does one. claw him good. Like that yeah. looks like it hurts. Like those are some. He he definitely does. He go like that was like being infected. Like that looks bad. He's oh, definitely yeah. got to. Yeah. Who knows what kind of alien bacteria is on those too? Like that yeah. thing does not like look great. Space gonorrhea or something. Yeah. <laughs> Chlamydia. Yeah, that's, Chlamydia. Uh, that's what that's what the girls are afraid of later <laughs> when they see this thing. Space um, chlamydia. And this this is where we get to uh, actually sort of get to know the group. Um, we have Moses, who's you know John Boyega, who's the leader. He's the sort of quiet, stoic, tough kid. Uh, we have Pest, who's the uh, He's he's the white kid with the fireworks. There's uh, Dennis, who uh, will later be the one that runs around with katanas. D yeah, <laughs> Dennis with his pizza delivery scooter, his in his katana, and then we have uh, Jerome. Yeah, Jerome, who's like I, I feel like this is oversimplistic, but he's sort of the nice one. Like he's the empathetic one. Like he's the one that's always like asking questions about what's going on. Um, and he's also he's, he's also the inevitable. Q 
kid in a horror movie with glasses who will at some point lose his glasses and get lost. And that yeah. will be yeah. You know, that will lead to his he demise. And Pest are sort of the soft ones. Like he Pest is a little bit more like snarky. <laughs> Pest is the loud one. He's um, loud, but he's also like he's got a heart, sort of. I mean, he flirts a lot, but then Jerome is like the true softy. And then there's Pest poor... gets like his entire calf bitten off, and he's just like, whatever, I'll tough it out. Yeah. And then there's poor well, Biggs, who we know loves his mom uh, and spends most of the movie in a dumpster. <laughs> that was one of my favorite running gags of this movie, was just checking back in every now and then. Yep, still in the dumpster. <laughs> yeah, and on, on their way back, taking this back to the uh, the estate, uh, they meet, we meet Probs and Mayhem, who are two uh, even younger boys who are running around uh, trying to aspiring to cause the kind of trouble that this group is getting into. Well, I love the the way they're introduced specifically. These aren't two children playing around like in the neighborhood. No, these are two small children just finding things to burn in a literal dumpster fire. Yeah, I mean they're they're definitely leaning into becoming the tough boys that they see in uh, Moses and his crew. This and, is just a rousing game of feed the trash fire. Um, <laughs> and Moses uh, initially calls them by their actual by their their given names. Um, they're they're I suppose their parent given names, but then they have to correct them through the movie. So it's sort of an arc for them as well. So Probs and Mayhem are their are their official names. Um, Probs and Mayhem are nine year olds who have only ever seen early Guy Ritchie films. Yeah, and that's they're... it. Those are the only <laughs> movies they've ever watched. And they're also an inspiration. They're some of the best characters in this movie. I like, love them. If if you have an anime and like the little insert kid character was awesome, that would be them. Yeah. So kind of like Outlaw Star. <laughs> they, they also decide they're going to take this to the safest place on the block. Uh, so they take it up to Ron's weed room, which is on the top floor. Ron, we uh, we meet here as Nick Frost. Uh, he has a giant secure room full of weed on the top floor of this uh, apartment block. Um, but it turns out that he can't he can't ensure that they can keep the alien there. They have to go talk to the boss, who is a guy named Hi Hats, uh, which. I spelled this like eight Oof. different ways. <laughs> no, it's, it's do not like this. H I dash H A T Z. Yeah, I watched this with the caption. This is hi hats is no Dimitri from the first page. I'll tell right. you that much. <laughs> I do like though. Uh, Nick Frost, uh, seen here playing exactly the character you imagine Nick Frost would play in this movie. Yeah, he's basically playing himself, but with long hair. Yeah, however you, th- however you think Nick Frost would be in this movie, give him a long hair wig, and you fucking nailed it. Yeah, yeah. Um, the weed room is kind of amazing. And Hi-Hats, despite his bravado, kind of has a really awesome setup when him and Tonks are like spinning and and mixing in their weed room and i'm thinking like what how cool is that that's probably why that kush is so good is because they're they're spinning to it 
That's the one place I would like try to be a DJ is if I had my own weed room. Because no matter how terrible I am, who the fuck's going to complain about my DJing if they're chilling in my personal giant weed room? Right. Everyone should have a personal giant weed room in their house. Yeah. I keep saying that to my partner and then she keeps saying, but we live in a studio. (laughs) Well, fine. You live in a studio. Every room is the weed room. Just turn a weed room. We should have a weed room. Now we do. (laughs) um so yeah uh now this song that hi-hats is playing was it's terrible it's a song terrible get that snitch uh don't give a fuck yeah get the strap don't give a fuck brap 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 yeah (laughs) i have a soft spot for that song i'll be honest i do too though (laughs) Hi-hats is sort of the, that bravado stereotype that is intimidating and also theming for Moses. There was an element of like, hi-hats is like the absolute worst case scenario of where Moses could end up if he stays like on his current path. This path of toxic masculinity, basically. Yeah, I mean, like, I don't know I if I'd like... call it worst because of that weed room. But... I mean, fair, <laughs> but just like that element of like a foil that like this is like yes. the bad path. This is like what Moses yeah, again, if the path of is shown toxic to, like, masculinity and violence care about his community and care about the people in it. And specifically, he will say later to Sam that like the only reason that they robbed her is because they didn't realize she lived here and that she was part of like the community. Uh, Hi Hats just which wants is, to own the community. Like the, the most important yeah. thing to him is that it's his block. And nobody disputes that. I, I do like that Sam calls them out on th- that's not the great the greatest apology in the right. world for <laughs> violently mugging her. Yeah. But it is an apology. Yeah, this is also where we meet Bruce, uh, who we already talked a little a little bit about. Who's a, a walking clam bake. Uh, like he's just <laughs> He starts out a little stoned and will get progressively more stoned throughout the movie as he tries to leave and fails throughout the movie. Um, so he's basically like a, a, a poor, I don't want to say poor man's Eddie Redman, but this unassuming like white, co- upper middle class white college kid. He's got he's his also headphones the whitest on. character Blue, in the movie. Red main, blue uh, yes. main, one main, two main. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> he's, red, he's Eddie Blue main, but um, thank you. I've never felt like Ben said so seen just being like so out of the element like getting pot while all of these like punk teenage kids are there (laughs) trying to be cool with them (laughs) it's like it's it's beginning college you're around all of these people who are like probably have done the crimes and you know you're trying to uh trying to be like Hey, I like fruit stripe gum. You know, you're like, I'm a little me. gangster too, and they're like, yeah. "No, honey, please you're respect." Not. He reminds me of like the guy who's a, like a hotel bar regular who then finds himself in the midst of like the anime con after party. Yeah, and he's just like, and doesn't know what's going on, but it's just like trying his best. I mean, that's a much. Also, more- me anytime I try to relate to teens, I'm like. Yeah. Like, hey kids, I'm cool. I, I me, do cool me, things. Me going oh, to see Pro Mayor and realizing like mm, I'm definitely at least six years older than anyone else in this theater. <laughs> and he's uh he he 
visibly tries to get their approval like he holds out his fist for the fist bump and they all oh, just kind of laugh at him <laughs> so cringy um yeah, he's, he's like, like to this. he's the polar me. opposite of of uh hi-hats like yeah hi-hats yes. gives you the the immediate impression that he is dangerous and you do not want to fuck with him and Bruce gives you the impression that like he just he <laughs> He doesn't belong here. He doesn't know why he's here. He's and he's the also kind of guy that gets they, stuffed in his locker a lot during high school. Yeah, not probably spent needed, more time in the locker than an actual class. They would not have needed the knife to mug Bruce. They would have just said like, <laughs> "Well," and he would have just been like, "It would have taken him a while because he just would have been stoner panicking like out of his <laughs> pockets." But he would have just given them everything and like instantly. They would have asked him nicely, and he'd be like, "All right, hello." <laughs> I love Bruce. And yeah, and, and over over the course of this scene, uh, both uh, a couple of things happen in addition to meeting these guys. In that, uh, Hi Hats recruits like actively recruits Moses to run drugs for him, uh, despite Moses, you know, being a teen. Like he, um, you know, brings him on, gives him some some drugs to go run right now. Uh, you know, just tells him to go sell the stuff and bring him back x amount of money. Um, and also, as they're standing around talking in the apartment, they look out the window and a whole bunch more meteors are falling. And, it's raining uh, golems. <laughs> yes, it's raining <laughs> golems. Um, and they decide that they're going to uh, go beat up some more aliens. So they all run down to their various apartments. We get a little look inside their their lives and their, their families and stuff. Uh, they all go run to pick up their... Various... Everyone except Moses, who probably yeah. we don't see his family. We get swords, and... we get baseball bats, we get fireworks, we get a dog, poor Pogo. Um, and they, they all like head out to go uh, fight this thing. Uh, yeah, Pogo the dog needs to be walked, so uh, they, get, they get stuck with him. And immediately they go out to find this, these things in the park and before they even find the thing, Pogo runs off to go uh, chase it, and uh, R.I.P. Pogo. Um, yeah, uh, off screen. Oh, I did not like that. Off screen. Bad. So there's a few things here in this sequence. I mean, the 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 fact that they all the kids you watch all the kids in their various apartments and sort of see their, their little glimpses of their lives, and in, interact with their parents. And that's something that's happening a lot in this in these opening scenes that I think is interesting, especially like um looking at humanizing these characters but also thinking about um class dynamics because you know these are these kids are tough but they're also kids you know they do answer to their parents and now we also see Bruis on the phone with his dad supplicating to his dad who's car Bruis has borrowed and as we find out later that's the car that the first meteor hit with the uh the the pale alien in it and you if you've watched the movie this far you probably know already that you're probably if you're not british and if you're not you know from london you probably want a few captions on because it's very very thick with slang the accents aren't as heavy as the slang is there's some love the slang the slang is great it is it is fantastic it also produces some incredible dialogue that is not just slang dialogue but like the whole it's raining golems like it's so fucking funny (laughs) yeah and i mean we'll 
we'll see, we'll see a lot of that in the first uh in in the garage scene in a minute what what i do want to talk about right now is the uh we've talked a little bit about it but the, the fucking design of these creatures is uh extraordinary like they're they're incredibly like dark black they you know hide in Santa the, black yeah they, yes. they disappear in the darkness and then like they have those you know glowing teeth that when their mouths are closed look like eyes and it's so fucking cool and it does so much work for this movie just like the the design being so good because we've, we've they, seen so many like resident evils where like it's like oh and here's the big bad creature oh it's Oops. like like that was horrible it, <laughs> it's a jelly awesome. dog yeah how about it, though they don't roar they like they open their mouths and you get like a black canary sonic scream effect like yeah, yeah and they kind of they kind of have this weird high-pitched bug like trill that they do that almost sounds like some kind of sonar like bat sonar squeak but it's constant so it feels very alien but also very like Explan- iconically scary the explanation it's such a we get- simple design but it works so well yeah, like, yeah. you didn't have to like go all out ride it. the solar winds but all the real explanation we get is really just the conjecture of a very stoned nature documentary enthusiast <laughs> yeah who has seen something about moths yeah and i think yes. making them making them this dark does the movie a lot of favors and that like you don't see as much detail about them. They stay sort of spooky and scary no matter what the situation is. Even though like in a lot of the slow motion scenes, if you're the sort of person that's bothered by it, like you can tell that they're guys in suits, but like they feel so like animalistic and they have such a like look and, and feel to them that there's everything about there's, it is just like is really fucking well done. There's an element of otherworldly unknownness about them even when we see them in full view in well-lit scenes. Yeah, I mean, the Vanta Black does a really great job of just making them walking silhouettes with, with teeth. With no and eyes or anything, just teeth. Honestly, it works great when you see them against dark backgrounds, and it's just like, oh, there's darkness, and then there's just a living a void. yeah. Like um, literally absorb all of the light in the yeah. room. I think yeah. it was Dennis who said it, they were blacker than his cousin Femi. Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, that was such a funny line. One of the things I love about the dialogue is I guess Joe Cornish actually went to a youth center to learn about how the kids were speaking so he can make nice. it more authentic. And some of the lines are lifted verbatim from stuff that the kids said to him. I love that. It's yeah, really apparently the line that um, Dimples says about uh, about not touching it because she'll get chlamydia, like, is apparently something that like he showed the design to one of the girls at the thing, and that's like, oh, it looks like it has chlamydia. Like, <laughs> <and> <laughs> he was like, he's like, I'm using that. Yeah. Well, and it it feels genuine. You know, it feels yeah. particular to this group, but it also feels it doesn't feel forced to me, and that might be because I'm not from London. You know. Yeah. There is that element. He interviewed, like, a lot of these kids are first-time actors. They're not, like, professional acting kids that, you know, he rounded up and was like, let me teach you this accent. They're, like, you know, kids who who sound like this in a lot of cases naturally, who, you know, know the slang, who it doesn't, you know, they're not trying to, 
he's not trying to teach them how to be uh yeah. you know who these characters are and I, I think that comes through very well Absolutely. it doesn't seem like what an old white guy would think black teenagers sound like yeah it, so it, it's not yeah. forced or like awkward and it yeah. does. I, not I think specifically feel... pest, like when when they're in so so like when they're in these tense situations, especially like in the garage later, where he's trying to explain this shit, and he's just like talking at a mile a minute. Uh, that like it if that was like an artificial affect of like the way he talked, I, I think it would not come across nearly the way it does in the movie. Yeah, because I, I knew this like cast a lot of just like a young unknown and like people from the area like i wonder just how much of the dialogue was like ad-libbed yeah, yeah. Just, because yeah at none of this feels like how do you do fellow kids <laughs> yeah it really does it like uh, they also they have such context specific stuff that they say um, and also the references that they make are not, they don't feel contrived either. I mean, that's also coming from me, very American, very white, very California, you know? It's but, so, like, they really feel like 14, 15, like they feel their age. Yeah. Especially when they, they talk about FIFA and anime and, and uh, Gears of War. Did that absolutely iconic line i did i have to i had to rewind like rewind just to watch it just because i've seen it and i loved it just go home lock your doors do your homework watch naruto <laughs> that's how he says it yeah that feels yeah, like that came out of Bo- john boyega fully formed like yeah, yeah so at this point yeah. is when the the real like uh tension to this movie ramps up because they're running from these uh you know these black furry aliens and uh, they immediately run right into the cops who um you know grab moses and handcuff him and they're uh you know showing him to sam um who they're they're going around you know trying to you know get her help identifying her muggers um they're they're putting him in the van when uh they get attacked by these things um the cops get taken down like it's nothing. They're, you know, yeah. <laughs> gone in seconds. Um, oh, Pest, no. Pest tries to uh, cover oh, them by throwing a giant uh, firework uh, under the van, um, which I, when I saw this, I was at first I was just like terrified that, oh, shit, he's going to blow up the van with them in it. Like, this is going to go very badly because it catches like right under the gas tank. Um, it's, a gr- it's a great throw. Apparently yeah, they had to I mean, film that several times. To get I don't believe it because it gets like stuck underneath the, the undercarriage of the of the van, the bully van. Um, <laughs> I will mention also that they the cops find the drugs that um, Moses just got from hi hats, and I will also mention that related to that. Now there's a there's a subtle thing that's going on here when we're talking about that um, foil to Moses is that hi-hat, when, when Moses first announces that he's been recruited by hi-hats, the other kids are congratulating him. And that's where you start to see a little bit of Moses being like, okay, yeah, this is, this is pretty cool. You know, he starts <laughs> kind of getting like a little bashful, like, yeah, I guess. Um, and, you know, and so this is op- like, at, at first it seems very, very ominous because, you know, we understand the situation with the drugs and everything. Hi-hat seems off his rocker. But Moses sees it as becoming of like a 
officially part of the uh, the community hierarchy, and so he's you, recognized. You he, he's off his rocker. Would you say he's mad as a hatter? Wow. Because <laughs> his name is Hi Hats. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. No, got that. Yeah, well, you can't script that kind of silence. Right. <laughs> <laughs> I wish sometimes I wish this was a visual medium, but um <laughs> now, alas. This now, is why a they... great note in here about what happens next because we get Dennis to the rescue. I I, I know it's not a visual medium, but to use the language of prose. I believe this is where the phrase withering glare came from. <laughs> I wasn't glaring. I was, it was more of in, incredulity. Ooh, we're, we're killing it on the vocab this week. You guys are always good. It's just me, you know, I'm like, I draw a picture. Um, but yeah, so. Have you read my dialogue? I just forget words and then I'm like, Fuck it, I'll just put forgetting the word in the script. That's rather see, than looking it up. That's the kind you that's the kind of like shoot from the hip kind of in in <laughs> Yeah, like that. From words, yes. <laughs> Some real hip shooted shootitude. Hip shootitude. Um uh I really can't remember the word. <laughs> Shootitude is a great word. I love it. Uh, <laughs> instinctual, something like that. I don't know. It's your intuition. Are you kidding me? That's a great word. You say that, and people instantly know exactly what you're trying to say. Yeah, Therefore, good. I don't care if it's real or not. It's an effective at being a word. Um, that's how language works. It's malleable as fuck. They're all made up, and we can make up new stuff all the time. Bless. There's another one. Malleable. Malleable. Um, anyway, so, so Dennis comes on the uh, pizza delivery scooter and uh, grabs his katana and rides off into the smoke, uh, yelling that uh, this one is for Pogo. Um, giving John Wick a run for his money, this kid. <laughs> I feel like this movie probably didn't have the stunt department, but boy, do I wish we had gotten more like full on katana on scooter verse monster action (laughs) would have almost do but like that's the nice thing about this movie is it does kind of pull back sometimes when you know because we can't make these kids seem too scary you know we can't make them seem too powerful um because our our sense of uh drama will be uh that much you know deflated there is because we have these these horrible scary aliens and these kids are just gooning it up and even and they don't even have as much preparation as the goonies have you know yeah it's true they they just have the the shit on their walls like a very dull very fake prop katana um they're like if the goonies were i was gonna say the outsiders but did the outsiders even do crime or did they just wear jackets and like act tough on corners i think somebody died and the outsiders. They liked having good old fisticuffs with other <laughs> street toughs in jackets. I don't know. What about the warriors? Uh, the warriors. The warriors. There they we were. I mean, the warriors actually are dangerous, though. But yeah, they're yeah. actually a, a gang. 
Um, well, but, so it'd be the Goonies and the Warriors. I mean, yeah, so I mean to be fair, that I mean, was also just New York in the 70s. It, it was I a mean, Dallas did get stabbed by the Soches, so, you know, yeah, I, I think that's, that's who you're talking about. Somebody got Dallas. stabbed. Yes, Dallas gets stabbed. Uh, yeah. By the Soches. By the Soches, because the good ones were the Greasers. Yes. And the bad ones were the Soches. Well, the rich ones are the Soches, yeah. And then the at what point does Batman recruit them? <laughs> <laughs> That's after um, the movie. This is the prequel to, to that. Yeah. So um, uh, Moses is saved. Uh, yeah, by... Dennis, Dennis breaks in uh, to the police van and gets him out. And uh, they decide to steal the police van that the two of them and Sam are in. Because uh, the police are not using it anymore. They're very dead. Um, yeah, super dead. Yeah, Fine yeah. red mist. Yeah, They're... they've been basically uh, ge- gelatinized. Eviscerated. <laughs> Eviscerated. Black. Um, um, yeah, so they, they drive this thing into the... Yeah. Uh, you might as well drive it before the fake autopsy says, yeah, no, they totally bit this dude's throat out. <laughs> <laughs> they steal the van and drive it into the parking garage and immediately run it right into Hi-Hats' car, um, which Hi-Hats and Tonks are in and freak out because they got hit by a police van and they're about to get busted for all their drugs. Oh, my thanks. Um, but then they realize it is not it is not police, um, but kids who have stolen this van. Yeah, and the interesting bit about this is that Sam has switched places with them where at first uh, Moses is in the back, you know, it's sort of the brig of the van. Um, and then they switch places and uh, Dennis is driving and Sam is now in the back because she's afraid um, of them and also of the monsters. So, I mean, Den- I mean, Hi-Hats is the reaction of, well, my car got hit. Uh, a police car's on the way. A police truck is here. Might as well murder every child I can find. Well, at first he sees that he, you know, that he thinks it's a police car and they're freaking out. Everybody in the situation is terrified. Um, and Moses is like, this is, this is a bad dream. <laughs> um, and then Hi-Hats realize that uh, the youths are driving the car. Some youths in it. Some youths in it. Some youths. And the then that's the use of it. Um, so they actually let Sam go and they're like, you gotta go because this is gonna get really, really bad in just a second. So um Sam books it, and then the other kids come up, and as Hi Hats is brandishing his firearm, which you know is not as ubiquitous as in you know, everybody like the kids would actually have guns if this was LA or whatever. But okay. um please have access to guns. Yeah. They would have access. And who I mean, if they had guns whatever but like um not to diminish the the fucked upness of that but um uh the cops would also have guns um and hi-hats i think is the most loaded person so to speak here um and uh and pest delivers his whole story about like there were aliens and <laughs> got us and yeah, um and he he threatens them about calling them aliens and he calls them big gorilla wolf motherfuckers. Um, and uh, they're, they're trying to explain this to them when uh, one of them drops down onto 
what is left of Hi-Hat's car. And Hi-Hat's, being the good bro that he is, uh, tells Tonks to go check it out by himself so that he can continue holding a gun on the 14-year-olds. Um, Tonks never did anything wrong. Tonks <laughs> immediately gets tackled and eaten by one of these. Has- hashtag justice for Tonks. Yeah, just... uh, yeah. Tonks, as far as we know, is an upstanding member of this of the community who just happened to hang out with the worst dude. Yeah, he's probably too scared to say no to hi-hats. <laughs> Which, fair, seems like a great way to get died in this community. Yeah. Yeah. So I the, made the, you, and now I dead you. The whole, the whole gang runs away while hi-hats uh, deals with the, the alien. Um, they're gonna... Uh, they decide to, to get back to the block where it can be secure... The aliens give chase. They have a big chase scene where everybody gets split up and goes different directions. This is where Ben's ends up in the bin, or Biggs ends up in the bin, uh, where he will be for the rest of the movie. Um, <laughs> I love this monster. These monsters can break through so many things, and this one monster just can't think of anything else. And like, I'm just gonna tackle this fucking trash bin over and over for the rest of the movie, <laughs> accomplishing nothing. Very single-minded monster. Yeah, yeah, I mean, we there's several we points where we see that monster, and he is just chilling <laughs> and waiting for this kid to peek out of the bin again so that he can attack him. <laughs> he knows he has to come out eventually, so yeah. it's just a matter of time. Yeah, and they deliver on this thing with uh, is it Dennis that thinks he can make the jump from uh, you know, one no, set of stairs to another? I think it's is it it's either Pastor. Bigs, where, who I think it's the... Bigs because yeah, Bigs makes is. the jump. Okay. The rest of them are on bikes and stuff. So Bigs makes the jump because Dennis is on the uh, the pizza bike, and mm-hmm. while Moses like pizza or he he scooters down the stairs like a champ, Dennis uh, fumbles it because his pizza bike is ungainly because of the giant pizza boxes on the back of it, <laughs> um, and maybe his katana. I don't know. Um, he's probably not. Don't used you to dare blame the katana. <laughs> I don't know if he's, I mean, he, he also, he only got the katana. He didn't get the wakazashi or the tanto. So I think that the fact that he was missing part of his daisho mm. was, uh, kind of balance. Yeah. Yeah. Like he, he's not used to, to, uh, delivering pizzas without the whole set. <laughs> um, well, yeah, in the midst of this, uh, pest gets, Pest is the last one in the door and uh, gets bitten by uh, one of the creatures. And they... It's a gnarly bite, too. Yeah, well, I mean, those uh, it's are a bad all one. And they, they drag him off to uh, Sam's apartment, where, he, where she has just shortly arrived. Um, and they, they argue back and forth with Sam about uh, how much they hate each other, um, all the awful things they've done to her, and uh, they're also, you know, currently dying, or at least Pest is. And they, they know she is a nurse, um, so they they <laughs> they do the usual horror movie thing, which is they're like, oh, you're a nurse, you can fix anything that happens to somebody. <laughs> and Sam is like, ah, this isn't my apartment. Like, I can put a pillow on it and tape I, it on there. I feel That's like if it. this movie had come out like four years later, they would have straight up referenced like Rosario Dawson and Daredevil. <laughs> yeah, well, this this whole scene is really funny too because of the the um i mean it's it's funny and also kind of scary well it's tense because the kids have invaded her house and she's trying to um 
defend the house and she's got a guitar like an acoustic guitar and the kids are just like shut up and then they (laughs) demand her fix the alien bite you know um and then pest starts flirting with her which is so great like his whole thing where he's like hey live here how you doing Pest like reminded me of the kid from Sandlot who has a crush on the lifeguard. Yeah, yeah, it's it, but it's nowhere near as creepy. No, no, um, that's thank God. Yeah, Pest makes many overtures, and uh, Sam deals with them with the appropriate amount of disregard. <laughs> Almost we, disdain, I would say. Oh, yeah. and dis- disdain, yeah. We don't get the weird, like, what happened? We don't get the weird freeze frame, like, Pest and Sam had seven children. Like, yeah, if that is. <laughs> um, there's a great scene, though, with them later where they talk about um, Sam's boyfriend, but I'll get to that when I get to when we get to it. Um, yeah. the, the aliens, in this case, are polite enough to knock on the door. Um, <laughs> and when Moses goes to check, apparently not having eyes they still understand how a people works uh so this thing roars through the people at him it's easier to smell through people yeah um, exactly and they they this thing like crashes through the fucking wall of this apartment like later (laughs) on they will have difficulty getting through a lot of things this thing just demolishes the like the door wall and all that's the monster that ate his weedies I'm just He's imagining him now, like smashing the wall and being like, "Oh yeah." He's the Kool Aid Man. Why? Kool Aid Everyone monster. else, everyone else is fucking around with doors and garbage cans, and he's just like, "Nah, man, I'm finding me some drywall. I'm busting through that shit." Yeah, he found that he like used his nose or whatever his alien his his alien senses. His teeth nose. He opened his, his mouth and it made those sound. I don't know how any of this. He got damn irradiated he, on the way through the atmosphere. <laughs> yeah. yeah. He hulked he, out. He tasted the air like a snake does. Yeah. And then found the spot, the one spot in the wall where it was weakest. Moses gets the samurai sword and kills the shit out of the alien, which is awesome. And they the call him the ninja wall. and it's really and great. The and there's no juggalos alien. in this film. Moses with the sword is um, fucking unbeatable. Like you, like Mo. Uh, honestly, like this dial that Boyega has, like the yeah, like, well, he kills the, the shit out of a lot of things. The sleeveless shirt, the baseball hat, the katana—it's a fucking iconic ass look. He just keeps leveling up throughout this movie. This is this is the first time where Sam really acknowledges the existence of the aliens, and Sam's like. Oh, this is fucking crazy. Um, yeah. I'm coming with you guys now. Yeah. <laughs> Wherever you're going that's safe, I'm going there. And they're like, Which... cool, we're going to Tia's place. And they're like, and she's like, why is Tia, Tia's place safer? Oh, she has like a wrought iron security, security gate on the front of her uh, apartment. So. Which will, of course, you know, be an effective force field on alien for an alien that's jumped through the fucking wall. Well, I mean, if there, like, some of those walls are probably pretty, like, rinky-dinky, but then 
true. The wrought iron gate is probably why the alien couldn't get through, like yeah, get like the these door. are not. These are just go around and jump through the wall. These are not yeah. hyper. The aliens see the gate and just don't try the door on Tia's house. These They're like, are... oh shit! Yeah. I guess we got to go through the window. Like, <laughs> these are not hyper advanced aliens that can like get it through anything. Like I feel like if this is a gate that could stop, say, a black bear, it's good enough to stop these aliens. Yeah. And as far as these kids know, it is. I mean, they killed the alien with a sword, with a fake katana um, that this kid probably got at an anime convention. Let's be real. Um, now, this is also the point in the movie that they really establish the the blocks or the, the apartment building system of timed lights now i don't know how many um how many places around in in uh i know there's light timers on newer apartment complexes in units these days i don't know how many um low-income apartment building projects have uh like light timers and things like that um in europe it is a thing um and it is a fantastically utilized thing in this movie to build tension oh yeah when brewis walks down and like the lights are changing on him like through the hallway i love that scene this is where the you know they're running out of the uh the they're they're running out of sam's place through the hallways with the with the lights going out and they meet probs and mayhem who are uh armed with a squirt gun and a pistol question mark and the kids really really want to be part of this alien slaying expedition but we, we do get Chekhov Super Soaker. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, John Boyega is not having it because, you know, they're young and he does care. You mm-hmm. know, he's not just like, you're not, you're not hard enough for this. He's like, you got to go home and watch Naruto. Because only when you finish Naruto will you know how to kill an alien with a samurai sword. It's important. Meanwhile, while they're running up to Tia's place, Hi-Hats is recruiting extra thugs just extra killable thugs for him to uh go after the boys with um i don't think these guys have names they are they do have slightly better heads on their shoulders than high hats because he is a driving crazy in this van and they look at each other and buckle their seat belts um and they're they are so unimportant they i mean they are alien chow very soon um cannon fodder yeah uh, their purpose is cannon fodder. And they're not really scary. They're just guys wearing Adidas. And that's just about it. Yeah. And they're very much out of their element too. They're they're going along with hi hats and just kind of scared, but like they're, you know, oh, you want to kill I a guess, child? I guess not bros, bruvs. <laughs> bruvs. They're bruvs. Um trust. Yeah. Bruvs for loves. Um and so they, they arrive at uh, Tia's flat, um, which has a iron security door. Um, and this is where they get real, uh, this is where John Boyega gets real uh, deep and thoughtful about. Well, um, I got a question for everyone. Got I got a question. During this scene, who here sung along with the girls when they were singing Ready or Not by the Fugees? I maybe I didn't absolutely how can you not <laughs> ready or not here I, you're you okay. can't hide 
Yeah, I've I was like, oh yeah, that song, and by the time that I was like, uh, and then they they stopped. And you're like, haha, it makes sense because the aliens are looking for them. Yeah, and that song hide. that song has to have been used in a horror trailer, but not for Ready or Not. I don't think. No, yes, ironically yeah. enough. And yeah. the other interesting thing here is that there's um this really great back and forth with Sam, like we talked about earlier with Sam and Tia, and um, Tia berates Moses for m- attempting to mug Sam and all this kind of stuff. So there's there's a lot more complexity that we get from these characters. Um, there's also a really great line that uh, Moses has when people are like, why are we going to Tia's place? And uh, Moses says, you wouldn't ask me that if you've seen those girls fight, which I was like, yeah. <laughs> that's right fuck yeah to you fuck yeah um and then there's a bit where sam's like why don't you call the police and everybody looks at her they're like shut up white woman yeah they they all kind of look at her with this the same but slightly um diverse different versions of the what the fuck expression that they all it was it's just such a an iconic moment and then this is where uh moses has his um yeah moses his, oh moses theorizes that the government probably sent the aliens that first they put first they sent drugs into the block and then they sent weapons into the block and because they're not killing themselves fast enough he thinks they've sent these aliens here to to do it for them we really get the intersection of class and race here yeah. and yeah the way so much of just like just government systemic government abuse and dehumanization and how you can't trust the police because they're not there to help poor people no. they're yeah. not there they're to, not help even to help people yeah exactly yeah so at, at this point they're uh chilling and uh uh tia looks out the window and she wants to know what the hell those things are and at this point the uh we see alien not eyes twinkling through the window and they come busting in from the outside. Um, and they attack, they start attacking uh, the boys. Tia and Dimples are fucking all stars in this scene because they get one of these things in, uh, in the other room and uh, one of them throws a sheet over it and the other one beats it to death with like an ice skate and, um, and a lamp. And a lamp. Definitely yeah. made the good call to uh, go to Tia's place. Yeah. So, yeah. Tia busts a lamp and starts like using it as a pr- uh, cattle prod against the thing, which is Bashing like never works. You can whack at these things with like the baseball bat all day. Sharp things, fucking insta kill. That yeah. ice skate. That ice skate does a damn good job. Yeah. Yeah, they're they're vulnerable against bladed damage. Yeah, I mean, they fell out of the sky. You would not think they'd be very vulnerable to impact damage. Yeah. <laughs> they had to survive falling out of the sky. Um, Smart. It's narratively consistent. Yeah. Uh, Dennis, on the other hand, is not fair as well. Uh, he gets his head bitten off. Um, he gets his head squeezed off so hard... It pops off still in the helmet and flies across the room. Yeah. It is. R.I.P. Oof. That it is a. Yeah. It, oof. He's I feel like Johnny the kid's Pogo deaths now. affected me 
it affects me the most because they're kids and you're like you never yeah. want to see kids die in horror movies yeah yeah like the thugs you're like well, eh, whatever the cops you're like eh, they're just there to die and then you see the kids die you're like no yeah <laughs> my babies yeah i know i mean like it's it's one of those interesting situations where you have a movie that kills you have the horror movie the dog dies it's very sad in a lot of cases the dog dying is like the saddest part but mm-hmm. this one um the pogo death they were discreet about it at least um but they were not discreet about dennis's death oh or, no yeah or this or some of the subsequent deaths. you i it always gets me when there's enough time for them to be screaming yeah yeah um, this is pretty horrific and, oh like he screams and it, it was it's especially sad because earlier we see dennis and he's getting his hair done um by one of the girls so it's like part of this really tender moment and then you know he's put on his his helmet again to fight the monster and it just gets him and yeah. after that kind of heartbreaking and it's not preachy that bit from from moses about uh you know it sounds like relating it sounds like kind of conspiracy conspiracy theory but it's more of a statement of how things are that he's aware of how things are you know that they are are basically on their own here and minorities they have a i mean they have a really good reason to distrust the government because the government like has historically done horrible things to small communities like that so yeah even though it sounds conspiracy theory like saying it out loud when you see some of the other stuff like i know it takes place in the uk so i'm assuming that they've had similar history but i know like in the u.s at least yeah some of the stuff that the u.s has gotten away with with um minority communities sure if they could send aliens in the neighborhood i mean they probably would look if reagan had that option at his disposal (laughs) exactly i can't i can't honestly say reagan wouldn't have sent aliens like yeah so he just did a war on drugs yeah and the star war yeah, yeah um, that was the end goal for the Star Wars, I'm sure. <laughs> oh, I got it. Now I'm getting the bl- the blood all worked up because I'm thinking about Reagan. Yeah, I'm sorry, an asshole. That's the all the, the, all the uh, medical the testing villain. on uh, black people and indigenous people too. And that's the thing is when Moses talks about it, it's not really like you know. I bet the government made those things. They're probably not even aliens. Like, it's not even just a theory. It's not, you know, we're not talking sunny in Philadelphia, things on the wall kind of crazy. Like, he's just exactly. probably it's just, it's not even an alien because of all this other shit. You know, it's not a, it's, it's not a crazy theory. It is just a statement that he makes. And he's, he's, he says it with such disdain yeah disdain and and he's like it's so defeatist right like it's it's so matter of fact the way that he said it and you know I, no one would him. come to help them either i mean if this is a rich white neighborhood they send the army in but yeah they, they, they know they're disposable no one's gonna come save them and they've they've noticed that there's no military out there they just saw the you know quote-unquote copper chopper and then some police action so they they realize that it's only in this neighborhood so it's another reason that they're not relying on anything to come and get to come and help them they just have to do it themselves oh it kind of shows sam's privileged background too that yeah she's like oh we should call the police well first of all you can't because they'll just show up and like you know kill the black teens 
And second yeah. of all, I'm like, the police are not going to help a bunch of poor black kids. And he's like, really? You would? Why would you think they would help us? And she's like, no, the police are our friends. She doesn't actually say that, but yeah, but you can tell that she grew up with this. Oh, if something's wrong, you should call the police and they'll help you. There's, this. you can tell that Sam's a white lady. She definitely yeah. is, and she it unintentionally weaponizes her white womanhood when she calls the cops. And and that's the thing too is that they take the time to take her on a ride along and this is on guy fox night when all the cops are too busy to address anything else but they will take this 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 damsel in distress on a ride along to seek out um kids kids of color yeah essentially basically having an excuse to arrest these kids yeah. so that's i mean thinking about that like they offer the ride along and then she initially rejects it and then she goes goes ahead and goes with them so it really shows how much the the kind of naivete and also the 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 panicked fear that um has sort of taken hold in her not just because of the the experience she just had but also she gets kind of uh, uh she gets her fears affirmed by one of her neighbors who talks about how the, all those kids are fucking monsters yeah, um, in the very beginning older, of the movie an older white um, woman and she's like yeah they are monsters she's like yes. no they're not they're kids yeah they're just dumb yeah. kids doing dumb stuff yeah yeah um, this, is, this is also where i mean the the girls in this movie uh, the, the black girls specifically uh like come in and exit this movie fairly quickly but like they also recognize like what's going on in this story before anybody else does uh yeah. you know on leaving mm -hmm. uh tia says you know actions have consequences stay away from us moses like this you know they recognize immediately that these aliens are after the boys and not after them that like it's got something to do with the shit that they already did and that you know the the uh, mischief they've been into has, has come back around to to cause this and that you know the boys are to blame you do for gotta, it happened you do got to give them credit though they figure out like you're bad news we're getting the hell out and they spend the rest of the movie totally fine no danger there i, mean, I just want to say like hooray for black women because yeah, oh, yeah they're the ones who kind of made moses like realize this is his own fault that everything yeah. that's happening is because of his actions because he just wanted to like show off and kill this monster and because he like responded with anger and violence yeah instead of yeah. being like maybe you sh shouldn't you know chase an alien monster and then carry its dead body around maybe which is my a lesson first that... yeah okay. i was gonna say which is a lesson that uh, unfortunately hi-hats doesn't learn here as he reappears with his uh, two new thugs tries to you know take on the boys and ends up getting an elevator full of uh aliens for his trouble uh they murder both of his new thugs and somehow he manages to survive uh you know to come back again later in this um that's why i hate elevators <laughs> the aliens uh yeah he he manages to really steve rogers this elevator so um, um we, we do get a quick check-in again with uh uh bin, big's back in the uh the bin um and probs and mayhem who see that there are actually like tons of these 
aliens climbing up there at the side of this building and uh, getting getting ready to get them. Um, and poor old, uh, our, our poor, <laughs> poor white stoner uh, manages did to- Did we get the, have we gotten Progs and Mayhem's big moment yet? Or is that still- Not later? yet. Not quite okay. yet. They, they have now identified that the aliens are just localized on this one part of the, uh, the block. Yeah, Bruis is uh, trying to leave again and happens to get the elevator that has high hats and just a just a giant pool of blood and dead aliens and thugs in it. Um, and like, Bruis is already proper paranoid before and now just... God, well, he was oh. afraid of his dad getting pissed <laughs> off about the car. And now he's like, they're aliens. There's a blood elevator. The blood has already gotten off of the elevator, but it's still kind of on. It's not like the shining it's, where the elevator has let the blood off. It's some big, I wasn't even supposed to be here today energy. <laughs> yeah, well, he says, he straight up says, I'm too high for this shit. But then, like, Hayat walks out of the elevator with his gun covered in uh, goon sauce and, um, <laughs> and alien sauce. Goon sauce! You want to catch the next one? Yeah, we want to catch the next one, and Bruce is like, okay, that is a I plan. Had, so many times I had the thought, or I'm just like, maybe take the stairs. I mean, they do. The, the kids take the stairs plenty of times. They stay out of that elevator, because fuck they know. elevators. Yeah. yeah at this point, elevators are YouTube bad news in this they're, movie. They're headed to the weed room. Um, <laughs> What's the weed room? Well, it's a big room full of oh. weed. <laughs> yeah well they're, they're headed to the weed room they catch the elevator which i love the, the second elevator like, which bruis is in trying to leave and they're like oh no we're not going to the bottom floor we're going up and bruis yeah. is like oh, what there's a moment they go like the weed the weed room is good i'm like yes the weed room is good i would say most rooms full of weed are good except when you don't have any skins yes. not all I'm. I don't want somebody to be like, "Oh, I found a room that like had a bunch of weed in it, and also a bad thing." <laughs> I don't want to come up with the bad thing because then I have to think about bad things. So, fill in the bad thing for yourself. An alien covered with homicidal alien pheromones. Yeah, like there's a bad alien there, and the alien's also racist. Like, <laughs> racist <laughs> yeah just don't even worry about the alien part there's a racist she's also an alien um, uh, they end up at the hallway full of monsters they launch a whole bunch of uh, rockets down to try and kill these things um, and this plan leads... immediately presents shall we call it a double-edged sword bit of a, a bit of an upside bit of a bad side talk about this it plan. Um, this is actually really brilliant. Like the way that they they set up this scene is fantastic because um, visibility is compromised whether you are in the dark or in light because the smoke from these fireworks, they send these fireworks out because they see the, the gorilla wolf motherfuckers kind of um, pacing the door of uh, Ron's place. And 
they shoot a bunch of fireworks at them, but all the f- the smoke from the fireworks just takes up the entire place. Um, so you have blind light or blind dark. And in a lot of cases, if you think about it, blind dark may have been better because they would have seen the teeth, but these things are fast enough, you know. Um, but it is fantastic tension builder. Yeah, and, and poor sweet Jerome uh, gets turned around and lost in the in the smoke. And uh, it's... Is, I feel like one of the rules, mm-hmm. like if you go back to Scream, it's like rules of surviving a horror movie, don't have glasses. <laughs> Jerome. If you have glasses, then you're going to have a scene where you lose the glasses and the killer kills you while you can't see because you don't have no glasses. Or the, it'll kill you like, immediately in the, the jump scare after you get the glasses back. Jerome was, wasn't one of the saddest deaths. For it me, really I was. I think I like the first time I saw it, I started crying. I was like, no. Yeah. Usually I watch horror movies and I'm like, yes, kill everyone. <laughs> this one I was like, no, Jerome, why? Yeah. Yeah. And Pest almost gets gotten. He's trying to save Jerome, but he uh, he ends up getting you know dragged away down the hallway, uh, saved, and they are trying to get into uh, Ron's place. I got that right. Yeah, Ron. Um, they don't know that Hi Hats is on the other side. And as soon as they come in, Hi Hats is waving a gun in their face and trying to kill them. And continuing to, for some reason, not believe in aliens, uh, not believe that these things are out there trying to kill them, even though he has run into one. He for some somehow thinks it's their fault that there are these aliens. Well, he is now, not only has he run into them, he has killed multiple of them. Yeah. yeah. He's, he's somehow sure it's their fault. Um, well, he's not entirely wrong about that. I mean, I mean if Moses right, hadn't killed the female. Yeah. Yeah, he seems to <laughs> Look, think it's Moses an intentional had... assault on his, his dominance of the block, though. Yeah. Which, like, they are very clearly running for their lives at this point. Yeah, that they've... He's he seems very paranoid in that thinking that Moses has somehow engineered this alien invasion to make hi hats look bad. Um, so you know, as you do, yeah. I mean, John Boyega might be able to do it with his talents, but um, <laughs> I don't think that. I mean, they're anyway. <laughs> yeah, and as he's threatening them, the uh, aliens he doesn't believe in are. Uh, gathering outside of his window and crashing through, and Hi Hats gets a truly gruesome death out of this. Uh, yeah, he gets a he gets his nose bitten off and a chunk of it's his face eaten. Definitely he... the goriest moment of the whole movie. Yeah, without a doubt. Yeah, it's a true a true villain death. Um, and then we have uh, the gang manages to make it to the weed room. What I'm learning Da-na-na-na. about all these horror movies I've seen is uniformly to me the worst death is being devoured alive which really sucks because that's how like most animals die that's the usual cause of death is being devoured alive and that's the worst one so i guess thanks humanity for just breaking that whole ass food chain I mean, I, there's there's something very visceral and very uh, I, I don't want to say carnal. Like there's there's something much like the 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 dragons of Eden kind of deep ancestral memory of that fear of uh, something coming and like 
eating the bejesus out of you, like tearing out your throat and, you know, best gnawing way, on you. Best I way would to hope die. you'd go into shock and not feel most of it. But I, yeah. To me, it's yeah. just like, yeah, you're just aware of it for something like, if I could pick a death, I'm going with some crazy Final Destination shit where it's like, do, 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 do. I'm driving behind a lumber truck. Oh, what's that? Bam, log dead. <laughs> I mean, mm-hmm. sudden is okay or, you know, in the sleep or whatever. Um, you know, battling something is different than just getting your throat ripped out by something. But the, uh, the hi-hats getting devoured and devoured gruesomely by just tons and tons of these creatures is, uh, is, is pretty viscerally upsetting. And yes, it's, it is definitely a villain death. Um, now, before we get to the big finish here, I do believe, uh, Emily, you wanted to talk about this back and forth about Sam's boyfriend. Yeah, so Pest is, uh, after Pest uh, realizes that his worst nightmare is being in a room full of raw weed and no skins, no no papers to roll a joint, <laughs> um, he starts talking to Sam in a very suggestive way, like, oh, you're fit, I need a, you know, and, and she's just like not having it. But then he asks, oh, do you have a boyfriend? And she says, oh, yes. And... He's like, well, where is he? He's not protecting you tonight. What the fuck? You know, great. Um, little bit of toxic masculinity there, but whatever. Um, their kids. Uh, not that that's an excuse, but it is a reason. Um, yeah, let's not boys will be boys. Any of yeah, 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 they, they, well, like part of the movie is that toxic masculinity like will screw okay. you over. Here's yeah. the question, though. Do we think Sam is telling the truth about this boyfriend? probably not like this has some big my girlfriend my canadian girlfriend energy (laughs) yeah my canadian girlfriend or my like you know my my very very real significant other that is definitely the reason that i am not responding to your advances teenager making you feel shitty and insecure enough to just make up a fake boyfriend (laughs) though that checks out teenagers are monsters (laughs) teenagers can be monsters yes and you know and she's also like way out of her depth so she says this whole thing about her boyfriend in ghana and sam says or not sam uh pez says oh, you're dating an African man. She says, no, he's helping children in Ghana. And Pest is like, oh, but he can't help the children in Britain. You know, not exotic enough. And I was just like, yeah. So like, (laughs) fucking like clap. Yeah. (laughs) Clap for that one. Because (laughs) I mean, I know I've known a lot of people who've done um, work for, I wish that more of the people that I've heard of that have got done done um, uh, philanthropic work have done it for reasons other than Jesus. But you know, there's it's 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 okay, but it's not like I don't know. There's there's a lot to be said about the uh, the sort of savior complex situation there. Yeah, the white saviorism usually does more harm than it helps. So. Yeah, and yeah. not even to start with the, the all of the shit that missionaries have done. Um, oh, all the at least, I mean, I guess a positive, we get some Tony Award winning Josh Gad starring comedy musicals. I didn't catch yeah. that one. Oh, Book of Mormon. Oh, yes, sorry. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. 
So now this is this is where the movie uh, picks up to its its sort of final uh, role here, which is um, <clears throat> as they're in the weed room, uh, Moses stands in front of a black light and discovers that he's he's covered in something, um, which uh, Bruce is is high and is high enough on nature documentaries uh, to <laughs> believe is pheromones from the uh, the creature that they killed that looks different from all these other aliens and uh, they think it's probably the female of the species and these guys are after that and they are killing people because they have this pheromone on them um moses who has already been thinking thanks to tia that he is responsible for what's going on here and needs to think about the the consequences of his actions um decides that he is going to have a uh an honest uh baby face turn here and then he's going to, you know, take all of these creatures down and save the block however he has to. And they come up with a plan, which they don't really tell us about. Um, and, uh, you know, he's he's going to uh, save the day and Sam is going to help him. Uh, meanwhile, before that really gets rolling, we do get Probs and Mayhem having their moment, um, which is really really fantastic because we find out that the super soaker is actually full of uh lighter fluid or gasoline or something flammable yeah they, they spray down the alien who has had bigs cornered the whole time uh, in the bin and uh light it on fire with a firework it runs off flaming and uh then they 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 come face to face with the armed police and then immediately dive into the bin with bigs <laughs> these kids are like these kids are on not not literally but uh theatrically on fire um that they literally set other things on fire uh these kids are so good and they're sitting there like uh reveling in their victory and then the police show up and as the smoke clears and they turn to each other and if you are upset by kids making bad swears then um (laughs) i i warn you here but they look at each other and they go fuck (laughs) they jump into the bin with bigs who then anoints them with their uh their street names mayhem and probs as he has uh recognize their heroic act and it's yeah. very beautiful, <laughs> beautiful <laughs> yeah uh meanwhile we we go back to the uh weed room sam is getting checked out to make sure that she doesn't have any pheromones on her she's just decides to sneak out around all of these aliens that are waiting out there to kill them um meanwhile seeing ron in the other room <laughs> Ron's still high and uh, wants to know if, it, if everything's cool and he can come out, which it's no, not. No, Ron. It's not, it's not all cool. Can't uh, come out yet. Ron. So this is like, this is a really incredible scene because Sam works her way down to uh, Moses' apartment, which he's told her to go to. And this is the first time we see inside Moses' apartment, which uh, he says he shares with his uncle, who is who comes and goes but is gone most of the time um and it is very clear that like he is the only one living here most of the time he's the spending for himself of character work like the devil like and just how emotionally powerful it is that's done 
just walking around this apartment, like this reveal as this is how bad Moses's home life is. Like, fuck, it's just so quietly devastating. Yeah, and this, yeah. like, she finds this bed with nothing but like a Spider-Man sleeping bag on it, and he is. She assumes it's his little brother, and he doesn't have a brother. And then she asks how old he is, uh, which has not been addressed the entire movie. And he says he's what fourteen, um, 15. 15, yeah, yeah. But that's a big wham moment. We're like, oh god, he's he's just a kid, um, yeah, not and even this, old enough to drive. <laughs> this dialogue um, is is so heavy too, because he says that, and she says, "Huh, you look older," which like is a really like heavily weighed line for her. Yeah, yeah. The, thanks. There's there's a racial. Yeah. element to that people always treat black kids like they're older than they actually are and they'll like sexualize them or like see them as violent criminals when they're just children so yeah and then yeah his his response thanks which yeah. is it's so sad and it tells you so much there's they tell you so much and so little with this scene um it's, and it's so powerful and she eloquent. she realizes how young that he is just a kid i think that's the first time it really clicks yeah for her she's like oh they're these are just kids these are not people who were a threat to me yeah because even when earlier they're sort of kind of apologizing for mugging her mm-hmm. um uh they say that they were just as scared as she was and she was like fuck off at that point you know like i was the victim blah 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 sam, okay so sam this- fills up the apartment with gas and runs out wishes moses good luck moses in the coolest fucking slow motion action sequence in any movie we've talked about on here uh, Zack snyder eat your heart out right yeah. this slow-mo is amazing it's the best like fucking scene in the entire movie yeah he straps the the dead female alien to his back and runs through out through this crowd of guys uh does this whole fucking like flip over the recliner as he's you know jumping across these things you know runs down the stairs the next floor down to his apartment you know with all these guys chasing him um he you know runs into his apartment and uh shoots off uh, <laughs> or uh sets off an, another you know firework in one of these uh um rooms and like blows up it's the apartment very, with all of these guys in it's it. very tense when the lighter does isn't working at first yeah yeah which, it's a fantastic sequence it feels oh. like a little bit of a cliche for the lighter to not be working but damn if you're not just so invested in moses and it's just tense enough that you're it's just i know that's it my ramps the tension i know up if i try to light a lighter at that moment like there's no way i'm gonna get it on the first strike yeah yeah well, you've got a spe- one of those special super lighters. It's like a blowtorch. <laughs> um, but yeah, he's got he's he's um, got the samurai sword. I think to, to, at some point yeah. there too. He's got the dead alien on his back. I, does he use the samurai sword, or does he just look really, really fucking cool? I think he just looks it. cool. I'm I mean, glad he does. I'm glad he has it because again, he looks really cool. He also needed something to defend himself if you know he gets a little bit slow. But yeah, he's just trailing these critters, and um, 
finally gets the fireworks into the room as he drops the alien the 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 female alien in there and they all kind of swarm it um and then a explosion happens yeah and then, yeah everybody else is outside and watching we have explosion. he gets you know thrown out the window and we we find him dangling by from a union jack outside the building he pulls himself back Which up symbolizes in. i don't know but it feels important <laughs> I mean, I feel like it's something to do with, you know, him barely clinging on to the society and, you know, and also the society needing him. I don't know. Sounds good. Yeah. We'll go with that. I will leave that to somebody British to dissect. Um, <laughs> Is it that the symbols of the state are more effective than the mechanisms of the state? And that the literal flag does more to help him than any actual force of uk politics i don't know i I find this one especially hard to dissect in the middle of watching falcon and winter soldier right now (laughs) oh i don't want to dissect that that one's that one's got a lot going on (laughs) flag running around killing people so um yeah um and in sort of the the wrap up to the end of this Moses and Pest and Ron and Bruis are all arrested. Everybody else is, you know, screaming about, you know, what, uh, how this is wrong and, you know, all this, except for Moses who is, you know, staying his usual quiet self. Um, (laughs) And is this your note? Maybe the real monsters were the police we met along the way. Yes. (laughs) Yes, Yes, it was. Um, and Sam has a great moment here, which is like, they're like, are, you know, are, are these the kids that are responsible for this? Are these the ones that mugged you? And she says, she says no, I know these kids. They're my neighbors. Um, you know, they saved me. They, they saved everybody. Um, and it's this, this real like recognition of this thing that she has failed to recognize. And they failed to recognize about her, you know, that they, they all live in the same place. They're they are neighbors. They, um, you know, are can look out for each other in this, in this. And she's this this character who the whole time has been upset about them, but very anxious to call the police. Um, you know, ends up sort of defending them to the police. Mm-hmm. They go from fucking monsters to yeah. human children to yeah. to basically to heroes. Yeah, to uh, neighbors yeah. too. You know, yeah. Like she's okay. proud to have them as as part of her community. Where it's earlier just... she was talking about how oh, she wants to move because she didn't like the neighborhood, and now she's like, the, yeah. they, "Those kids are my neighbors." It's a solid character arc. Yeah, the, it is. Boy, this last bit where Moses and Pester in the police van, and uh, everybody else powerful is chanting for Moses. And Pess says, can you hear that? That's for you, man. And John Boyega, like Moses, who has not smiled this whole movie, just like looks up and smiles right at the end. And it just like, it fucking distracts me every time. It's just yeah, the most beautiful so, smile. He's like, so. That's what I'm talking about. So that's powerful. a smile. Or, that's that fucking it. That star power. Exactly. Just, like th- the entire ending of this movie relies on a facial expression and he crushes it 
really does. And he becomes the leader that he realizes what he needs to do to become a leader. You know, before Hi Hats was his sort of uh, role model. Yeah, role model, I guess. You know, that is what he what he had to look up to as a leader of the community when Hi Hats was just a bully. And now Moses is a symbol that the community is rallying around. Maybe that's why he was on the flag. You know, he is their flag. He is their symbol. Um, but, you know, to, to not to get too, you know, literary uh, dissection or whatever, it still is, is a very, very poignant moment for that character because um, he, this whole time, he takes his leadership role very, very seriously. And before it was about being tough. And in this case, he realizes that it is about being a hero and being, you know, there for your people um and making a sacrifice for your people um and there's something also very bittersweet about it because he's still arrested you know he's still in a police car um and there's something about that to me that is very very sad because he's a hero and everybody's chanting for him and everybody's rallying around him but he's still arrested and I think that that's a really important takeaway from this movie because there's a lot of people that have been rallied around in the last few years that aren't even arrested. They're dead, you know, and that's how bad this situation is. Um, you know, if no, and, and, you know, these, it's not, it's, it's barely comparable because of the, you know, the, the drastic difference in the fiction and also the, the shit people have to, have to deal with in the real world with cops. But that moment of this guy's sacrifice becoming a rallying point, but him still suffering um, is, I think, a really hard hitting you know, while, while optimistic at a certain point, um, very, very serious for this movie, um, you know, and, and you could still, but his smile does kind of soften that blow a little bit, but again. It's um, also worth noting that um, the white characters are the ones who are mouthing off to the police when they're yeah. being arrested. They're like, oh, yeah. you can't do this yeah, to me. Absolutely. I'm going to call my lawyer. To... Moses doesn't say anything. And you could argue it's because he's a silent character. But like most black kids, he was probably raised to never to talk back to the police. Just yeah. don't say anything except for like, yes, sir, no, sir. But yeah. the white kids are like, that. He Moses wouldn't have been able to get away with what the uh, other characters are doing when they're yeah, like mouthing off. Ron was like, I have a disability, and then um, Pest is like, you're dragging my rights, I know my rights, and, and Bruce is like, you know, I knew, <laughs> basically, here today. yeah, <laughs> yeah, um, and, and even earlier, Moses kind of takes the, the earlier arrest in the film um, with, with the plenty of stoicism, he, the only thing that he says to the cops there that's a little bit snappy is just get me in the van because he knows what's out there and he knows that being in the van is safer, which is just something else to kind of unpack there, I guess. Um, or at least to think about is being inside the plant, the van with the police is at least the one step safer than being 
attacked by homicidal monsters um so <laughs> of course these yeah. policemen don't have guns so well that you know that's that's the wrap-up for the actual movie itself let's dig a little more into you know politics we've talked a lot about some of this stuff but um let's hit on a couple things we haven't talked about at all first um generally we we look for some kind of lgbtqia plus representation in here i don't feel like there was really anything to like even dissect in here does, does anybody else no. have something no no there was a joke that was almost homophobic about them taking moses's clothes off earlier that some, one of the kids made um but that is like barely it you know which is also something to be said, you know, with all of the things that these kids, all the banter that these kids have, um, it's not laced with homophobic slurs. So that is nice. Yeah, beats um, Monster Squad that way, you know? Yeah, for real. Oh, yeah. Uh, I tried to show my kids Monster Squad a couple years ago. That didn't work out great. Oh, <laughs> oh yeah. yeah. That, there's a lot to... Mm, 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 yeah, mm. just in like the first five minutes. Um, Uncomfortable movie. Yeah. yeah. Um, do we feel like it has anything interesting to say about uh, mental illness or physical disability at all? Not really. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, the, the, the only, the, yeah, there's just the child neglect element, I think, that gets into sort of complex ideas about how that affects your growing up. Um, but I don't think it's very, it's, it's, you know a very big part of the message not so much mental health but maybe just like minority stress yeah um and trauma absolutely yeah sure um yeah trauma definitely plays a part in it but uh, i think aside from that there's not too much to be said there um uh generally i mean this is the point where we ask uh was this movie feminist um there's not a ton of female characters in this we have you know sam and then tia and dimples um and w- what do we think is it is this a feminist movie i think there is feminism there um i think that the way that they treat sam she's a round character she's a flawed character um she's not the protagonist of the movie but she is a protagonist um she's a sympathetic sympathetic character while also being very naive um yeah i think there's a oh i'm sorry oh go ahead i think there's a unique character arc in here and i do think it is overall uh a feminist uh theme and i think it plays i mean i think it's a pretty intersectional movie the way it intercuts class and race and um and in particular sam i think it's in a way kind of a story of her in her own way kind of confronting her own privilege Mm -hmm. and um yeah you know kind of and becoming aware of you know like the systemic issues that these children are facing that she was that she you know really is dismissive of or at least not, not dismissive of but very ignorant to at the beginning of the movie yeah I mean, they're fucking monsters at the beginning of the movie as far as she's concerned. Yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, and I, I think, you know, um, well, 
you know, while he is not a female character, I do think Moses's arc is very feminist as well. And that it is about him facing this, you know, toxic masculinity that is part of him and part of what he looks up to and deciding to make a change from being this person who, you know, faces his faces things by leaning into this stereotype and by, uh, you know, looking up to people like hi-hats who, you know, are uh, ruling through this sort of toxic masculinity and, and making other people fear them um, and, you know, embracing this sort of like caring about people and that being like an important part of, you know, how he, how he shows his, you know, masculinity. I mean, we, I remember all the way back when we were talking about um, after midnight, we, uh, we were making that distinction between um you know, we talk about toxic masculinity and what we're often talking about is traditional masculinity and this sort of asserting of, um, you know, dominance as a, as a male identifying person. And, you know, this, this need to uh, show that you're, you know, stronger or, uh, or more dominant than other people. And, um, you know, as opposed to, caring for people and that's that's very much the arc of, of what Moses goes through here is is facing down that traditional toxic masculinity and coming out the other side as, as somebody who you know uh, cares about his community and, and can can be and is looked up to for sure um Tia and Dimples also I mean her their whole crew is also uh pretty rounded despite the fact that they're not really on screen but they you know they certainly passed the Bechtel test um you know they're they're respected by Moses by Moses as being powerful but also when we see them in their own kind of situation they're doing their own thing like they have their own world that is outside of these what these boys are doing you know it's not it's not so like segregated as like a little rascals kind of thing but they you know they're they're friends and they have their own life that they're leading that we see glimpses of and one thing that this movie is really great at is really showing us a lot with very little um you know when when uh, biggs is trying to call them from the dumpster and um <laughs> they're just like can you talk can you talk slower please uh stop playing the xbox you know because he's like <laughs> oh, aliens da, da, da. um and they're you know they their life doesn't revolve around their male counterparts they're um they're also uh talking about you know their their uh, education and stuff like that you know they're taking a lot of things seriously so um they're they're definitely they're self-assured too yeah. yes yes yeah they're, they're the only ones that don't need an arc in this movie they've they've got their stuff together yeah um, i feel like they've sort of achieved what the other characters are trying to and that's why i one of the reasons i like those characters is because they're intersectional so they're both able tia and dimples they're able to address both the racism that we see in sam but also they tell moses like it's not okay to be attacking women at night that's obviously it's going to be really scary and it's very violent and that's just not something that's okay to do and they're the yeah. ones who are really in the best position to tell both of them, this is why you're wrong. Yeah. And you both need to knock it off. Absolutely. 
Yeah. Yeah. And the other two questions that we would usually go over, I feel like we talked about the whole time and they really heavily intersect in this movie, which is um, the question of how this movie deals with themes of, of race and social justice and how this oh, theme yeah. deals with question, how this movie deals with themes of class. That's, um, is there that's, anything else people wanted to add in there? I mean, that's the movie's DNA is dealing with race. I mean, I feel like that's like the yeah. crux of the movie is exploring yeah. this intersection of race and class and the way that particular identity and societal challenges and issues manifest within South London. I feel like there's some really brilliant decisions, um, not just within like the whole oeuvre of the film like where you have you know all these little details you have you know the kids family situations you have the the setting of the block um but also the presence of characters like ron and Bruce, and you know sam is sort of more in the spotlight there but i feel like the um the juxtaposition of ron and Bruce to these other characters like ron to hi-hats and Bruce to to the kids you know, being a um, a solid customer of of Ron's, um, and Brewis is like you know the upper middle class kid that just wants to be cool and and smoke weed and stuff like that. Really show a lot of different fantastic ways that you know the people who may be of privilege. I don't know how much Ron is of privilege, but he does you know talk a little bit about being you know his his uh, his dialogue does hint a lot of that. But you know he does have this conversation with. Bruce about how Bruce was in trouble with his dad at first he thought he was like arrested for a crime but it just turned out that his dad found weed in his mom's underwear or something that come out yeah. of his laundry and he was talking about it like he had been <laughs> you know um arrested for, very, for for possession very suburban woe is me I got in trouble with my parents that's the end of the world <laughs> yeah and you know if if we wanted a character because I think about what does Bruce do in the movie other than like just be sad and stoned all the time you know he also does some explanation and stuff like that and you know any of the characters could have done that but he's I think that it's there he's there to be overwhelmed bewildered and make guesses about xenobiology yeah but the, the his his um origins i think also bring into focus the reality of the the situation in the block you know um and th that that contrast of privilege um i the can't other wait for like the 2030 sequel when like bruce is just like the stoner actual leading xenobiologist right <laughs> <laughs> and then he's actually played by eddie redmayne but oh, yeah. um, <laughs> The, the other thing that I wanted to mention that was really interesting in terms of uh, class in this movie was that all the kids had burner phones with limited minutes. Yeah. And, you know, in, I know in Britain there's different um, kind of uh, phone options, um, you know, and a little bit, I don't know how much people are reliant on smartphones, but, you know. If oh, these 20, the 2011 Britain, not yeah that makes sense like i i didn't have a smartphone when i was living in england like during that year i mean i didn't get a, a smartphone until 2012 but um with you know these kids in the, these projects you know they're also like running out of minutes constantly and trying to struggle with the limited resources that they have including telecommunication which is you know at this t this point 
in the 21st century considered like something everybody has access to. And I felt like that was uh, not only a good tension builder, but also, you know, another indicator of um, the, the financial position those kids are in. Absolutely. Um, did anybody else have anything they wanted to add to that bit? Morgan? Um, I think I've pointed out most of the things I was thinking about, but just again, to sum it up, it's basically the way I see it is um, a movie about like negative stereotypes of black kids and black, especially black boys and black men. Um, which I, you can also see reflected in the aliens being like these ape-like creatures. Because um, in older movies, um, black men were often compared to apes. And unfortunately they still are. Yeah. And like wild animals and stuff. And this was sort of embodied by um, the aliens, which represent like how society would see Moses. Mm-hmm. And then we get to see how Moses actually is and um, in contrast to how like the re- like the rest of the world would view him as quote unquote a fucking monster and then we get to see actual monsters and you yeah. realize he's not he's a kid and he's a good kid uh-huh. um, but it's what it's honestly one of my favorite movies in terms of black representation for this reason most of the characters are black um, even though it was like produced and directed by white people, I think they did an amazing job. Um, they clearly got a lot of input and they got it right. And and I would say it's like right up there um, in terms of like, if you have to watch a black horror movie, that's definitely one of the top 10. Mm-hmm. At least that's my personal feeling. Yeah. I, I agree. I, I mean, yeah. again, personal does such a great job addressing all these themes of like racism and class yeah and i mean that's privilege. our that be our next thing is is you know do we think this movie is is worth people seeing and like absolutely i yes. i love this movie Definitely. it's so much fun and then it has so many layers on top of that that like it is absolutely something everybody should watch yeah this movie has such a fantastic i mean the, the message is great um it's not overstated you know like the the first purge we you guys talked about the first purge being you know as about as subtle as a brick to the face i think that some movies especially genre films are a great place to really you know throw that brick right um because some messages um some some messages need to continue but this movie is also fun like the first purge is is scary um and you know has some moments that are like that's that's weird okay this is sort of enjoyably scary but this movie is fun this is like um what the goonies wants to be you know like i feel like it's a it's a damn shame that not more people have this as their like uh formative goonies movie experience because and we have um, these kids who are inventive and running around and try, you know, and and uh, sympathetic with all this pathos and just quipping, and you have all these lovable characters and a very very like righteous hero arc, and you know, some learning some lessons along the way, like you know, real monsters and cops. But yeah, I I'd, I'd, I'd say this is almost a perfect movie. I don't know what I would change about it. Um, 
you know, I feel like there could be a partner film. I about- wouldn't kill the dog. I'd have the dog oh, live yeah. somehow. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. I would make sure the dog lives. Okay. Yeah, Pogo dog lives. lives. If, I mean, Stranger Things killed the cat. So, like, a lot of these things have, I mean, Stranger yeah, Things. I'm not happy yeah. whenever a cat or a dog dies in these yeah. things. Um, it's always bad. I are, don't like it. Yeah. So, I would like to see a sister film. Um, literally a sister film with like the Tia group, um, the Tia and Dimples group doing stuff. But um, you know, that's that's all. I think in terms of theme too, it's what Candyman was trying to do, <laughs> and except they handled it much better. Yeah, <laughs> like they did it correctly. Yeah, in terms of raising class, I'm like, yes, this. This is what Candyman was trying to do, but handled it poorly. Alas. Yeah. Yeah. I still love that movie to death. Oh, yeah, just... um, one other thing I don't think we addressed. You notice the two kids in the group that died were both black kids. And I did notice that. Yeah. 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 yeah I and yeah. like usually when they have the black guy die first, it's problematic. But I think in this case it worked. Because it kind of tied in the theme of like violence in this neighborhood and how black boys especially are victims of just violence and police. Mm-hmm. Um, and in this case, if if you consider the aliens to be a representation of like these toxic stereotypes of black men, then they quite literally fell victim to these stereotypes. Yeah. Um, yeah, and I mean, we talk about representation a lot and how like the prop like I, I think as a writer I I get a lot of questions sometimes about you know black characters mm-hmm. um falling into one stereotype or another and um you know a lot of times my my answer to those questions of how to deal with these things is like it's not a problem if you have more than one black character like exactly you yeah. have one black character and he's a villain like hi-hats uh, like if he was the only black character in this movie then all your black characters are villains but as you're in this movie you have such a diverse array of black characters that are you know representing sort of everywhere on this morality scale um then you know it's it doesn't then having a black villain for this story you know isn't a problem i mean you also have you know white police who are uh you know villains to some extent in the story or at least potential villains um but and Sam yeah, could have become a very easily become a potential villain if she continued to think of them as fucking monsters. Yeah. yeah. Sam very easily could have become a Karen. Yeah. Yep. yeah it's interesting because Moses is on this path of like this toxic masculinity path. But then Sam was also on this path of, like you said, becoming a Karen. Yeah. This othering of, these children. This toxic white privilege that again, we kind of see her old foil like her kind of going down the path which um in that older woman that she's with initially like you know not quite so obviously destructive as hi-hats but still a clearly like hateful like uh presence in the community yeah and not someone looking after the youth yeah like and, I mean, there's there's a lot of insidious racism with these the you know a lot of these characters that seem sweet you know she's like seems like a sweet caregiver but you know 
the reason that she helped Sam was because she was white, you know? Yeah. Racism. Yeah. This, this yeah. movie could have easily been about Sam and set Moses as a villain or been about Moses and set Sam as a villain. And it chooses this path that isn't like, it isn't a both sides thing. Like mm-hmm. it isn't trying to play both sides of the story, but it is like filling out and rounding both of these characters in a way that like, makes them all make sense and that none of them are just flat other than you know hi who knows what his deal is why he's so awful um but you know you you, i i think he's necessary in there yeah um well that said i mean it sounds like we would all definitely recommend people check it out what else would we recommend people check out if they if they love this movie morgan do you have uh, other recommendations um i actually have did a whole list back in February of black films that I would recommend. Um, I can't think of one specifically, but there are a lot of great black films that are starting to come out in terms of horror. Um, So um, if you are interested, I can, um, I actually do have the list on my website. Yeah. And uh, at at the end, we'll give give you a chance to tell people, you know, where they can find everything on there for you so um yeah definitely emily i know you had a couple that you wanted to throw out there yeah so um in terms of the mood of this movie you know the the um you know characters escaping a gauntlet or fighting monsters you know it was very very much like the warriors um reminded me a lot of that um little escape from new york a little bit of Stranger Things with the uh, Mayhem and Probs. Um, and if you want a film that is about race, about class, about, uh, and, and in Europe, um, but without the horror element and to a certain extent, the, the fun element, um, there's a French film called La Haine uh, from 1995. That's really, really good. Um, and it's about uh, actually Paris, um and some of the uh the marginalized people in paris and um trying to survive and it sort of goes hour by hour of their experience after there there was a um police killing and all this kind of stuff so you know strange how many things have not changed over the years actually it's not strange but um i would definitely recommend that film um that is la n or uh the english translation is hate um from the quote hate begets hate um you can kind of see how that goes um and uh i was gonna say another one but ben has that one so i'm gonna let ben talk about it (laughs) thank you appreciate it Uh, because that's the only one i could come up with but you know we mentioned it a few times but if you want a horror that really uh you know, kind of continuous conversations about class and race and uh, systemic state-based horror and atrocities uh, with a more American bend, then uh, you can, I would definitely recommend checking out one of the first movies we covered when we started this podcast with uh, The First Purge. That's a good one. And again, that is the movie titled, quote, the first purge, quote, end quote, not the first movie of the purge series. 
No, yes. that was a confusing one for a minute. Yeah, <laughs> I, I, I have to add that caveat. Thanks, Purge franchise. Yeah. Su- fucking great thinking with that one. <laughs> no confusion there. On, on my side, I was thinking a little bit about uh, a couple of ways that it ties in on Emily's note of uh, the sort of uh, modern day, you know, Stephen King group of kids that uh, encounter some sort of sci-fi thing, uh, Super 8. Uh, I enjoyed. It's not nearly as... Uh, it doesn't have nearly as many interesting things to say as this, but it is, you know, uh, a fun sort of YA group sci-fi movie. Um, if you want to see John Boyega and uh, you don't want to watch uh, three very popular science fiction movies that criminally underuse him, um, you can check out the uh, Small Axe films that are on Amazon right now. He is particularly in a one called Red, White, and Blue. Um, and he is fantastic. Like he is, as he is in so many other things, he's like the greatest thing on screen whenever he's on screen um and that one is obviously not a horror movie it's uh you know much more about about racism and about you know uh social equality and things like that um and if you were looking for some other um you know british horror films uh that have a, a diverse cast i mean i i do love Shaun of the dead but it's a it's a pretty white movie um you can definitely check out, I mean, I, I love the first 28 Days movie, 28 Days Later, um, and also The Girl with All the Gifts, which I'm sure at some point we'll cover on here, which is a, you know, a great science fiction horror film that you know, has a, uh, you know, a young black girl at the center of it, um, which you know, hopefully, like I said, we'll get to that one on here at some point. Um, but that's, that's all the recommendations I had for that one. Um, I mean, this, it's hard to recommend movies that are better than this one because this one is it's an so all-timer. Good. It is yeah. so, so good. Yeah, um, I have to reach for, like, influences. <laughs> and uh, speaking of, of that list you were talking about, Morgan, why don't you let people know where they can find you online, where they can find your blog, and find out about all the uh, reviewing and collecting and, and all that stuff that you do with this. Sure. Um, you can find me on my blog. It's uh, Diversity Horror at blogspot.com. Uh, Diversity Horror is also my username on Twitter and Instagram. I review diverse horror books. Um, and it's not just Black horror, it's also um, Indigenous, people of color, the people with disabilities, LGBTQ plus horror. Um, and I also keep a really long list of a bunch of different diverse horror books. So if you're looking for something specific like African vampires or non-binary zombies, I can probably find something for you. Um, and if you are looking for more recommendations, I do have a post on my blog, um, a review of Horror Noir, and I list a bunch of great um, black horror movies including um, the one we just reviewed. Awesome. Fantastic. And uh, Emily, why don't you let people know where they can find your stuff online as well? Um, Mega Moth on Twitter, Mega underscore Moth on Instagram, which is a a big source for my art. If you want to look at artwork, Um, you could also get Princeless books um, available where fine books are sold on the internet. Um, and your local independent bookshop. 
and Comixology. Uh, Princess Volume 10 is underway. I was working on it today. So I know things that you don't know about it. <gasps> Gasp. If anything, I just make it gayer. But um... <laughs> I love, okay, for those of you who can't see, Jeremy just gave a look of that of just, of just, I don't know how to describe it. Our vocabulary is failing me at the moment, <laughs> but just this look of like, oh, really? I'll see about that. <laughs> yeah, I mean, that's, Princess somehow has become probably the the least gay of my ongoing books. I don't know how that happened, but like, it's, you know, my... Uh, it happened by the rest of your books being incredibly gay. Well, Princess could, Princess, Princess walked so they could run. <laughs> okay. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Um, in terms of the gayness. But anyway, also, uh, if you want more Princess, more gay, or just more of my art, um, regardless of preference, I am on Patreon, uh, patreon.com slash megamoth, and on Tumblr if you want to look at the things that I like. Um, megamoth. It's a funny looking moth. I just like the phrase, if you want more of my art, regardless of preference, as if, as if somebody might <laughs> prefer not to have your art, but I'm just saying anyway. sexual preference. Okay. Um, <laughs> Um, uh, ben, where can people find you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at, at BenTheCon. You can uh, find links to my work at BenConComics.com. Uh, digital versions of everything are in Comixology. And coming out real soon is my uh, VR esports action comedy from Dark Horse Comics, uh, OGN Renegade Rule which is out in comic stores May 26th and then out in bookstores on June 8th. Nice. And uh, I, of course, am on Twitter and Instagram at jrome58. That's J-R-O-M-E-5-8. My website is jeremywhitley.com where you can find out about all of the stuff that, uh, that I write. Um, as far as pre-ordering stuff, uh, School for Extraterrestrial Girls book two is uh, coming out in the fall. It is actually... We're doing a uh, free comic book day thing for it in uh, September. Is that when free comic book day is now? August or September. Um, and then, you know, the whole thing will be out uh, in the fall. First one is already available if you want to check it out. Obviously, of course, Princeless as well. There's nine volumes of that. And then 10 volumes of the significantly gayer spinoff story, Raven the Pirate Princess, uh, which is all about uh, queer pirate ladies of, of various descriptions. Um, Progressively Horrified itself is on patreon.com slash progressively horrified. We'd love it if you can go there and show some support for us um, so we can keep making great podcasts like this one. We're on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod as in Progressive Horror Podcast. Our website is progressivelyhorrified.transistor.fm where you can see all of our many uh, episodes and our show notes and all that fun stuff. Uh, please be sure to subscribe and rate and review the podcast so that other people can find it and enjoy it just like you are right now. Um, and speaking of enjoying things, Morgan, we have enjoyed having you on here so much. It's been great. Thank you for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. I had a great time. It was a lot of fun. Well, we'll have to do it again sometime. And speaking of things I always enjoy, Emily and Ben, 
I always enjoy having you guys here. It's so great to talk to you. Thank you. Art. It's my pleasure to be here. Yeah. All right. And, thank you again, Morgan. Yes. And, and thank you so much, Morgan. I hope you I hope this was a fun time. It was a really fun time and I'd love to do it again sometime. That would be fantastic. Sounds like a wonderful. plan. Awesome. And wherever right. you are out there listening to this, whenever you're listening to it, we enjoy you. And uh, please let us know what you think. Come talk to us on Twitter or on the website. And we will see you again next week. Bye. Progressively Horrified is created and produced by Jeremy Whitley. This episode featured Jeremy Whitley, Ben Kahn, Emily Martin, and Morgan. All opinions expressed by the commentators are solely their own and not intended to represent the intent or opinion of the filmmakers, nor do they represent any of the employers, institutions, or publishers of the commentators. Our theme music is Epic Darkness by Mario Cole 06 and is provided royalty-free from Pixabay. Support us on Patreon or contact us at tw- on Twitter at Prog Horror Pod or by email at progressivelyhorrified at gmail.com.